This is Undisciplined. I'm Matthew LaPlante. Since the unification of the northern and southern dynasties in China 1,500 years ago, Chinese chefs have been making fried rice. And if you've never stopped to watch a master chef go to work preparing this dish, you're missing out. Fried rice is prepared in a wok using a tossing technique that enables the food to cook without burning at temperatures of 1,200 degrees Celsius. That's 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit. And there's a deep and beautiful and ancient art to this. But as our guest today will explain, there's a whole lot of science too. Hung Tong Ko is a PhD student in mechanical engineering at Georgia Tech University, and his research is gorgeously interdisciplinary. His major research interest is in biophysics, and he's published a whole bunch of stuff on fire ants. But he's gotten a lot of attention lately on his work examining the physics of wok tossing, which was recently published on the cover of the interdisciplinary journal Royal Society Interface. Hung Tong Ko, welcome to Undisciplined. Hi. Before we get to fried rice, can you tell me a little bit about how your mind works? Because in addition to biophysics and food physics, you're into machine learning, you're into data science, you're into music, you play guitar, you speak a bunch of languages. What did your parents put in your food, man? <laughs> uh, fried rice, I guess. I did have a lot of fried rice growing up. In fact, I cooked more than my mom as a kid growing up. And fried rice was one of the food that was commonly come up because, you know, with fried rice, you can basically reuse the overnight food, and then you can just, like, put a bunch of ingredients together and stir them and make a fried rice out of it. So I, I cooked a lot of fried rice and ate a lot of fried rice growing up. And what was it about your upbringing that made you so interdisciplinarily oriented? What made it so that you were so just curious about so many different things? That's a very good question. I'm, I don't think I've ever asked myself that. It's just... I don't know. I think math is such a powerful thing, and I love math. And then all of a sudden, I realized that math is really underlying all the things that we've seen. So like the fire rice project that we are having now, there's math to it. Even with the fire ends, the way fire ends move, there's math to it. But with the language and guitar, oh, there might be a little bit of logic to it, but I wouldn't say there's math. But those are interesting, too. I don't know if there's a common theme for all those things, but I found a lot of things interesting, for sure. The diversity of your research, it shows this real insatiable curiosity. In addition to some of the things we've mentioned, you've looked at traffic patterns through the lens of compressible mm -hmm. fluids, which mm -hmm. is fascinating. You've examined the way that roundworms swim. You've modeled the way HIV infection works. This is not the typical career of a young academic. Do you, <laughs> do you recognize that? Yeah, but I would... I would... I would admit that part of it is also because I like to try new things and I don't like to get settled down. So right now I'm doing my PhD, but a lot of the work we're done um, either in my undergrad or in master degree, instead of like sticking to one topic, which most of people do, and generally speaking, that can probably earn you a better career because if you stick to one subject then you get famous in that subject. But I kind of don't want fame as much as I want to learn new things. So I'm definitely not as much of an expert in roundworm or in traffic flow than most of the people. But for me, it's also exciting that I got to learn so many different things. At one point, you become interested in fire ants. Tell me about how you first fell in love with that species. 
Fire ants are just great. I study fire ants partially because I'm here in Atlanta right now. So I, oh, and there's I a lot of them to, down there, right? Yeah, yeah. They're invasive species, so they're everywhere, but they're pretty notorious in the south. In fact, the, the way we collect our, our fire ants are very easy. So I just bring a bunch of undergrads. We go outdoor, still on campus, and we just push shovels into the ground. So we can't collect all those fire ants colony right here on campus. Uh, this really gave a very easy access to those animal species. But the really fascinating thing about the, the species is that uh, they make rafts. So other ants, they don't raft, but these ants do, in order to survive flooding conditions, which is a very amazing um, physics phenomenon. So when we say they make rafts, they like latch onto each other. And, and in doing this, they make this little pancake shape, and then they use that to kind of float on the floodwaters. And... This allows a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them to survive for, for a really long time, right? Exactly. Um, and we do those experiments in our lab, too. So when you when you try to make this fire-end ball and you build this fire-end ball onto the water surface, they'll start spread out um, to become like the pancake shape, like you said. And the most important members of the group, um, like such as the queens and the, the eggs, the, the offspring, they'll tend to put it on top of the, the pancake while as the other workers will serve as a structure and latch onto each other um, to form the structure of the raft. And usually those rafts can even survive for months, not just for days. And what I love about this is, and not to get too far flung here, because I know we're supposed to be talking about fried rice, but like <laughs> this is so fascinating. These, first of all, that these animals inherently know to do this, and they inherently know who to prioritize on that raft, but... I mean, you can't help but look at that and feel like there's something we can learn from it, right? Exactly. Especially if you think about how they notice what their group is doing. For example, if you if you imagine you're this individual standing within a Thanksgiving crowd, Thanksgiving shopping crowd, like you won't be able to have the bird eye view and tell how big of a group that we're having now and what as a group we're supposed to do. But far ends are so small. They don't have this bird eye view of of the collective, of the whole pancake eater. So it's amazing to to um, investigate and look at how they're able to sense kind of the state of the whole raft and kind of respond to different physical forces. Okay, so how do you get from fire ants to fried rice? Is there a connection here, or is this just another case of you getting curious about something? I would say it's more out of curiosity. And in fact, the the fried rice project started before the, the fire ant project. Uh, so fire ant is the topic of um, study for a short amount of time. But uh, fried rice is really kind of like my project for the PhD. And I did most of the part actually when I was doing my gap year in Taiwan. So in between my master and PhD, I actually decided to take a break. And I was teaching in rural Taiwan, teaching English. And that was when I kind of decided to take a physical approach to look walk talking dynamics. And to do this study, you found some chefs who were willing to let you film them. Were when you approached them with this idea, were they into it or did you have to do some convincing? I don't have to do much convincing because they're so nice. The place that I recorded and the place I work is not even urban area in Taiwan. It's very rural. And in fact, I think most of the population who live there are original people. They're just super warm-hearted. And of course, at that time, I couldn't promise them anything. I 
couldn't promise that I'm going to come up with a very big scientific research. I don't even know that I can go somewhere. Uh, but they're just so welcoming. And in fact, the, the chef I recorded the most times from, he offered to treat me the rice. So the fried rice that I asked him to cook, like not only didn't he charge me for the inconvenience that I, I brought, like he didn't even charge me for the rice. And and I should say that on your website, you've got like this guy's information, right? So people can find him and go and like frequent his yeah. establishment. <laughs> Absolutely. Because we, we need to make him famous, I think. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's really a remote place in Taiwan. It's not very easy to get there. But if anyone's listening who happens to go there, uh, make sure you pay a visit there. <laughs> That's Hung Tong Ko. His study on the physics of walk tossing was recently published in the journal Royal Society Interface. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. This is Matthew LaPlante. I'm the founder and host of Utah Public Radio's research theme program, Undisciplined. And I'm talking to you right now from my closet, where I've been recording this program for the past few months. All across the United States during these unprecedented times, public radio stations have been figuring out ways to keep providing the journalism and the programming you've come to expect. This is a tough economic time for a lot of people, but if you're like me, if you've been able to hold on to your job and you can afford it, please consider donating on behalf of someone who can't right now. Donating to UPR is easy. Just go to upr.org and click on the donate button. Most of all, though, stay safe, be kind, and keep having big ideas. You're listening to Undisciplined on Utah Public Radio. I'm Matthew LaPlante, and today I'm talking to Hong Tong Ko, whose recent study suggests that we can learn a lot from examining the physics of making fried rice. So you connect with these chefs, you get these videos, and then you slow down these videos so that you can see the motions that they use and the timing that they use. And it turns out that even though these chefs learn their crafts in different ways from different people at different times, they use a very, very similar technique. Describe what you saw. What is this technique? So the interesting feature that we found from the recording, the first thing that were that surprised me was when you look from the walk from the side, you can see kind of I track the front and the back end of the walk moving, and what I found is that they actually move in different directions. So if you look from the side, the left left hand side of the walk, the left hip might be doing um, clockwise motion, and the back end will do the counterclockwise motion. So they're actually rotating in different directions. And we were just amazed. And we started to ask ourselves, what kind of rigid body can exhibit this kind of motion where the front end is moving in different directions? And one other key feat that we found that was sort of surprising was that you would expect as when you're trying to flip the pancake, that there will be a time when the walk is totally lifted off of the stove, but you see that the wok is actually always in contact with the stove. The wok never leaves contact with the stove, and yet they're moving it, and they're moving it quickly. You said, like, it's an average of, what, like a flip every two-point-something seconds, right? Yeah, it's uh, three hertz, so it's around 0.3 seconds. 
it's even faster than that's super fast it is super fast so imagine you have to you have to kind of do this three cycles per second it's a very very fast motion and there's no and way you could is, have done this if you couldn't have slowed down the video right i mean like you couldn't have you, it was important to be able to slow down the videos to be able to count those exactly and there was a lot of similarity from one chef to the next. The timing was about the same. The movement was about the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it has a lot to do with what this and is really beneficial for. So for one, apparently it's beneficial for for mixing the rice ingredients. So this is the way that we have proven numerically that it's efficient to have rice or other ingredients jumping off of the walk, and then this trajectory is also good enough to most of the, the fallen grain. The other side, this motion is also good for the chef because like we just talked about, the wok is always in contact with the stove rim. And what that does for the chef is that it kind of saves the energy that the chef will have in lifting the weight of the wok. So most of the wok weight is actually lying on the stove rim and carried by the chef. So right here, you've taken something that's sort of mysterious and artistic, and and now it's it's numbers and it's physics and it's geometry, which I take it for you doesn't take away its magic. It doesn't make it less beautiful. It's so beautiful still for me, especially when we do some of the model study, parameter study, and um, which basically allow us to play in our computer how how the rice grain trajectory will be if we do this motion a little bit differently. But what was amazing was that the parameter that the chefs are using, what we observed, is actually the optimal of all the choices. And that, that's what really makes you think why, like how amazing this whole thing is and that the chefs are able to get to this optimal motion without even thinking about it. And it's so organic. It, like, it evolved to the point where these chefs do this and they do this in the same way, but they do this in the same incredibly efficient way. Exactly. So I would like to even think of it sometimes as uh, an evolution of an organism. So like, like we talked about, uh, fried rice is something that has been prepared for so many years. Presumably there's also a long history of different kind of techniques for cooking fried rice. And at the ancient time when the fried rice was first kind of invented, they probably didn't have the propane stove like we have in, in, in modern restaurants. So the techniques that they used might be a little bit different, but they just slowly evolved and kind of slowly got optimized to, to the form that we observe today. So whether this is art or science or art and science, and I guess that's what it is, it's art and science, this technique, it evolves as a result of a need to solve a problem. The problem is cooking at really high temperatures so that rice caramelizes, but it doesn't burn. And that's sort of the, the trademark of really good fried rice. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very interesting to think about uh, this human activity as, as a part of nature, because nature is both art and science. That's what we do. Biophysics, when you think about the, all those amazing animals, how they are able to evolve all those millions of years to have the form that they have now to get optimized in searching like foraging or flying in birds but there are also physics to it so i think it's really beautiful the whole thing this 
technique, this really beautiful evolutionary technique, it comes at a cost. And that cost might be shoulder pain from repetitive stress. I'm wondering how this angle materialized. How did you recognize that there was a connection here? So we had video and we have this model. We start to think what kind of thing can be researched before. And we start to look at literature because we kind of expected that moving something to kilograms uh, at this high frequency is potentially very burdensome for, for the chefs, especially as I recorded. Um, there is a type of restaurant called stir-fried restaurant in Taiwan. And basically the main dishes that they, they cook are stir-fried dishes. So those chefs, like literally, they, they cook dishes at least every day, day in and day out. And you can imagine that the walk tossing motion has really created a huge burden. So we, we looked at the literature and we found that it's really the case that Chinese chefs are suffering a lot of shoulder and, and upper body pain. And uh, we're thinking maybe we can use our knowledge of the kinetics, the, the walk, to ease that pain. So in the study, you speculate that fried rice cooking, which comes down to this very specific geometry and this very specific physics, could potentially be done by a robot. And here we get back to your interdisciplinary interests, because one of those interests is in robotics. But man, I got to say, like, we've been cooking rice this way for 1500 years. And I imagine that the mere suggestion of roboticizing this beautiful ancient thing might make some people a little bit uneasy. Definitely. Uh, in fact, that idea is making me not very comfortable, too. Um, and I keep emphasizing whenever uh, media asks me this question, because especially in a small town that where I visited and recorded everything, the chef has a lot more value than just the cooking. Uh, so that's definitely not something that would advocate the most for my research. But um, I also noticed that there is a growing field of um, exoskeleton technology. So uh, basically what the technology does is that they, they design motors or basically just like small robots, but not autonomous. But the human can basically wear that on their arm and, and so that the motor will do some of the work for the human. Basically, it's like an Iron Man kind of scenario where, you know, you, human doesn't output as much force, but the machine does a lot for you. I so, love um, the idea of Tony Stark cooking fried rice. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I'm also using some of the machine learning technique to investigate what kind of skeleton, what kind of device that you can make for the chef to make sure that they don't have to output as much force when they're doing this motion. That's Hung Tong Ko. His study on the physics of walk tossing was recently published in the journal Royal Society Interface. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. This is Matthew LaPlante. I'm the founder and host of Utah Public Radio's research theme program, Undisciplined. And recently I was in my garage staring at the car I bought right before my daughter was born. It doesn't run very well and we haven't used it in years, but it's the car we brought her home from the hospital in. We've taken that car all across the Western United States to soccer games and on camping trips and skiing excursions. It's well, it's sentimental, but it's also time. So I'm going to be donating it to careasy.org in support of Utah Public Radio. 
If you've got a car, motorcycle, boat, or trailer, and it's time to say goodbye, consider offering it in support of UPR. It's easy. Just go to upr.careasy.org. What we know about the dynamics of fried rice tossing could be used in other applications as well. And the thing that made me go, whoa, was clothes drying. Explain that. I think that's a very cool idea. When you dry clothes, because with the spinning uh, mechanism that they're using right now, there's actually a limit. Because if the dryer spins too fast, the clothes will usually end up attaching to the sidewalls instead of being on at the inside of that tunnel. So you, you can imagine that when this is happening, they're actually blocking a lot of warm air coming into your dryer. But what if you can just, you know, make this motion and kind of toss your coat while you're drying it, while you're blowing warm air to it? I think that would be a pretty interesting thing to do. And it will be pretty efficient, I would assume. So... What do you want to know next? Are you are you going to stick to fried rice for a bit? Are you going to look at this exoskeleton thing? Are there other mysteries of the Chinese kitchen that you'd like to answer? Um, I'm open to new ideas. I'm still working on the exoskeleton project, um, but otherwise on uh, fire ants now. But I'm definitely open to any new ideas. If there are any uh, listeners interested in reaching and uh, want to look at some of the interesting food science together, I'm definitely in. How has this fried rice thing affected the way that putting your attention back on the fire ants now? Is is there, are there principles that you've kind of like pulled from one area of your research and you're thinking now in different ways about other parts of your research? Um, I think it's mainly just the power of mathematics and the power in kind of reducing the whole thing that we see into simple variables because usually, at least when I was a kid, look at people tossing fried rice. I had no idea how to simplify that. I have no idea how to model that. It's just like out there, people are doing it, but I have no idea how to describe that mathematically. But this project gives a very convenient to describe that and gives me more hope that, you know, a system as complicated as um, fire ant swarms, fire ant collectives. Uh, there might be an easy math that really enables you to describe some of the key features of those systems. I read somewhere that you volunteer at the aquarium in Atlanta, and I'm wondering if you find yourself marveling at the mathematics that exists under the ocean. All the time, all the time. You did read a lot. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I love doing that part. Also, because I love science communication. I think communication, uh, communicating to the public, learn from science is a very important aspect of, of scientists. Um, so that's also part of the reason why I decided to volunteer the aquarium because I want to be able to talk to the public more. What do you think that the public needs to know? What do people need to know about this interconnectedness between organic things and the mathematical world? Be because I don't think that connection is very clear for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, I think kind of the more modern academia is really stressing the multidisciplinary research. But um, like you said, there are a lot of gaps in this communication between academia and the general public. So people might not necessarily appreciate 
interconnected of different subjects. So by doing some of the pro projects that I do and by kind of broadcasting and communicating them to the general public, I think it will be a very good way to, you know, help let people realize how important to not only focus on one thing, but also look at things more broadly. You're getting quite a bit of attention for this fried rice study with media all around the world, not to mention this one really awesome program on Utah Public Radio. And I wonder how that makes you feel because this was sort of a side hustle for you. And I've spoken with quite a few scientists who wind up getting sort of science famous for things that weren't their primary line of research. And they've told me it feels kind of weird. What are you learning from this experience? I think it's quite interesting. I've never thought about how influential this project sort of could be, especially when I found my, I was on a podcast in Germany, and I, this was my first time to hearing my my voice got dubbed over. So they only play one word that I said, and the rest of it is like in German. Someone was voicing over me. And I thought those are just very cool experience, how influential the stuff that we do here are. And it's very, it's very encouraging for me to continue to, to do more exciting works. That's Hung Tong Ko. His most recent study on the physics of tossing fried rice was published in the Journal of the Royal Society Interface. Hung Tong Ko, thank you so very much for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio, and if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us every Friday at 2 p.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Naomi Ward. Our associate producer is Mia Dora. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tissot, and I'm Matthew LaPlante. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas. <laughs>